Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna. And we are your therapist next door. <laughs> Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health. Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous. <laughs> this week, we welcome Silvana Espinoza Lau, who works as a liberation consultant for mental health clinicians, healer, and LMFT. Special thanks, as usual, to one of our top contributing patrons today, Alex. Thank you, as always, for your support. Therapist Next Door podcast is 100% listener funded and commits that we will never work with advertisers. We don't believe that it is our business or our job to tell you what kind of mattress to buy or encourage you to give money to an exploitative (laughs) therapy service. As we believe that labor should be paid, we ask that listeners who are able to contribute, contribute what they can so that we can continue to be a platform for clinicians who further destigmatize mental health and demystify therapy. Every episode, we thank one of our top contributing patrons, which today is Alex, number two. Yay! Learn more about (laughs) perks and ways to support Joanna and Sarah at patreon.com forward slash TND podcast. That's patreon.com slash forward T-N-D-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. For easy access, visit our Instagram at TND pod and follow the link in our bio. And now on to our show. Welcome everyone to Therapist Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing someone in a helping profession, asking questions that you want the answers to, answering questions you didn't know you had. Ooh, I'm Joanna, a board certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white, straight, cisgendered female and my pronouns are she, hers, and I, and my new favorite thing to do is to play internet yarn bingo every Sunday at 2 p.m., um, which is streamed live from Holland. So it's my new thing. You, <laughs> you can win free yarn. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> How do you... Is it still a bingo board? Yeah, it's a bingo board. It's a regular bingo board. And oh uh, they, it's like, this, I don't, they have this cool software. You don't, you really don't have to do anything. You can just put it on in the background, which is nice. Cause sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't want to hear about all the yarn I can't buy. Um, and <laughs> I, it's like straight up a promotion for this yarn company, which is Hobby Yarn. They're one of my favorites. And uh, yeah, it's every Sunday. I think in October, they're switching to Mondays at 11, which uh, (laughs) (laughs) the other thing, the other thing uh, is that there's this really weirdly toxic internet um, community around this bingo game. (laughs) And because there's like a chat function and people just like go to town in the chat and then like yell at each. There's like thousands of people (laughs) play this bingo (laughs) and then people get mad at people for getting mad about things that they aren't necessarily mad about and they post on the Facebook group it's oh, it's no, become an like, accompanying Facebook group oh there is an accompanying <laughs> and then like people like if someone's like oh I'm so upset that you know the it's gonna be on Mondays and I can't do it anymore and then people will be like could you stop complaining about this free service that that is given to us and it's like okay everyone's allowed to have negative feelings and positive feelings we don't always have to be like yarn bingo is the best like sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it it's the weirdest thing and I love it. That sounds really cool. I do love that like automatic interpretation of I'm so sad I'm gonna miss this as <laughs> oh. yeah and know. and like a lot I do see in the in the chat a lot of people like where's my card where's my card and I think a lot of it is there is like a cultural aspect to bingo in America. I just know this from working at a nursing home that bingo mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm 
very intense and has to be done a certain way. And if you don't do it that way, people will get upset. Um, and I, I think in Holland, it, it's like a little bit more free, it seems like, which is fine because it's a game. But <laughs> I love this hobby bingo and everyone, the, the people who, <laughs> there's so many more stories, but um. <laughs> yeah, Joanna, we worked with a simu- similar population at, you know, our early jobs in the therapy field. And I did a music bingo Um also working with the elderly folks, but in a, you know, in a inpatient psych, in an inpatient psych unit and me not having prizes or not having diverse enough prizes oh was like God. really like getting drug over <laughs> the coals for that. Like a real like moral failing. Yeah. Or I would be like B12, like the vitamin. And they were like, stop it. <laughs> just call this the numbers. Serious business. Seriously. Yeah. Just call them. Why does mm-hmm. she get? Yeah. It, oh, I love it. I love Very it. serious. So. And and I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. I am a cis at white woman and my pronouns are she, her. And I will be dressing up in a dirndl this weekend. Oh. When I attend Oktoberfest at the <laughs> Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair. That's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I had like a momentary thought of should I be, first of all, dirndl can be translated to girl, mm. woman, server, and sex worker. So I'm just, I'm just seeing a, you know, hint of just like Western influence on language. Also, I was thinking for a moment, is it okay that I wear this? And I think that, uh, I don't know. I think that it's okay if we're talking like imperialist powers that I wear, I wear a dress that imitates. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think, I think I'm safe, but I am excited to wear my dirndl. Um, I, you know, I got like little, little clogs to go along with it. And I'm just Very really excited cute. to go to Renaissance Fair. And Are they comfy be- clogs? They're, they're comfy clogs in a sense that they are sandals that I've been wearing for three years already. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, but I am very excited to go to Renfair because if anybody's been to Renfair, it's just everybody gets to get together and be weird. And, you know, it's, it's just great. Yeah. Visit your local, your local Renaissance Fair. The one in PA is apparently a popular one. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Um, we go every year and it rains. So looking forward to that. <laughs> Did you know that you can buy uh, Drindles at TJ Maxx in Germany? No. <laughs> it's also called Teha Max because in German you can't say that like J is Ha, so it would be Teha Max, and that's just like harder oh. to say. So it's Teha Max. Um, you just go in TJ Maxx right there. Man, in the front of the store. Just got Drindles. The, the one time I went into TJ Maxx in Germany. Wow, look at that. Here I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is like really good to know. I'm happy because it does feel like a costume, but I also feel very immediately I put it on and it was a little too tight. And I was like, oh, this feels this tracks. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like it's supposed to be a little restricting so that I can't, you know, feel free. So I'm sorry. But that's that. Looking forward to wearing my dirndl. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Also learned the word dirndl very recently. So I cannot get enough of it. I can tell. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Beautiful never going to be out of my system but that's that ringing in no I guess celebrating my 35th year this weekend at Ren Fair this is a big birthday y'all 35 because it's divisible by five and because it's and seven I feel like it's a nice (laughs) in my um (laughs) in my anxiety numbers brain five and seven are nice (laughs) that is nice I'm usually an even number uh even number gal for my Mm. own you know just so things can have balance. I think a lot about prime numbers, which five and seven both are. 
It makes me <laughs> nauseous. <laughs> Our anxiety is very different. <laughs> that makes me not trust you as much. But I know it's the <laughs> I know it's not you. I know that you just don't. all these things going in the back of my head. You know. Um. <laughs> Like yesterday, I you know we were singing this song to my child, and it was like, ba ba brownie or something like that. Like so, every word had like a ma ma Monday. So mm-hmm. every time we saw something, you know, we did that, and I was trying to think of like what you know words that start with a kind of sound like o or u, and it was just the whole walk. I was like, what about ostrich and apartment? Are those the same? <laughs> so, um. Yeah, that's pre- that's pretty cool. I love the I love the diversity of our vowels, um, <laughs> yeah. and how they are completely unreliable. <laughs> I would love to write, or I guess just sing a version of apples and bananas. That's like every vowel sound, because I feel like it doesn't do the strangeness of our vowels justice. If you don't know, it's like I like to eat 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 apples and bananas, and then yeah. you change the. You change the vowels to be all us. Like I like to eat, eat, eat apples and bananas. Um, My favorite one is oits. Because you can say apples and bananas. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh, I'm glad I took the mezzo part there. That, uh, <laughs> that got deep into my deep into Anyway, and my husband was like, "Wow, you've been thinking about this the whole time." And I was like, "Yep, mm-hmm. just going through all my vowel words." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I'm good at categories. <laughs> so. And and like meanwhile, you know, in my my seven year now, I think quest to learn Spanish on Duolingo, <laughs> depending on depending on like what region of language you're learning as well, it's it's pretty mixed. And there are certainly I, I could be wrong, but I don't think the diversity of how the vowels are used as much is that present. But everyone, feel free to correct me. Um, it, I I don't need to look at the words and guess all the time about how to pronounce. <laughs> yes. I and I feel really nice. Uh, comforted with that yeah yeah it's difference between germanic and romantic languages mm-hmm. well. how are your floors they're good i mean they're they are covered with stuff like physical stuff it looks nice in the zoom background because it's like my working background but mm-hmm. i'm i'm surrounded by things <laughs> yeah and it looks like i'm not it, as always it looks like a beautiful collection of things mm-hmm yeah, my floors are relatively clean. Sorry, my partner like made me laugh and rage the other day because he suggested that we deep clean the apartment. And I was like, what? <laughs> the cleaning that I'm in charge of, you mean deep cleaning is necessary, which it absolutely is. But and I know that that was like some some funny, like I'm in charge of cleaning, taking over and feeling offended by that. But hmm. I'm still a little annoyed by it. Anyway, my floors are clean and I don't need right. to deep clean. It's a myth. You don't need to do it. Yeah. I mean, the deep cleaning is like when I get super hyper-focused on like, oh my gosh, the dishwasher is disgusting. Let me sun- spend an hour cleaning it. Yeah. Every now and then I'll clean behind a shelf. Like I feel like I piecemeal mm-hmm. deep cleaning. Man, what a, what a, yeah. Domestic labor. Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all right, that's all for me. Very I don't exciting. Think, yeah. As usual, we're both perfect. And there's yep. no corrections to We me. are perfect. All right. So uh, stay tuned after the break for our history lesson.
now it's time for our lesson. The lesson has compiled facts describing history and or current events, good, bad, and in between, in order to give context for the field our interviewee works in. Our sources for today include, Joanna, I really, really branched out. Whoa. Wikipedia.org. Oh my goodness. Trigger warning for today, no triggers today. Enjoy anxiety-free to the best of your ability. All right, Joanna, first we're going to talk about two terms that are okay. very important. And, right. if, and if folks listening don't know them, here you go. We are teaching you. First term for today is decolonize. All right, so for the first version of decolonize is, excuse me, the first version of definition for decolonize is the actual physical withdrawing from a colony or leaving it independent, meaning a place, a uh, some type of colonizing power had to go to a place, take over, and then they have to leave. Mm-hmm. All right, decolonization or de, or excuse me, decolonization is the undoing of colonialism, the latter being the process by which imperial nations establish and dominate foreign territories, often overseas. Some scholars of decolonization focus especially on independence movements in the colonies and the collapse of global colonial empire. Uh, so examples of colonized countries, initially the U.S. was a colonized yeah. country. We certainly have established yeah. ourselves as um, a colonizer. There are certainly indigenous nations that continue to be in our country that uh, are still suffering from colonization. Other examples of colonized countries are many of the nations that were taken over by uh, the U.K., Mm-hmm. And then experience liberation. So I believe Jamaica is an example of that. Cuba as well is an example of a country that has been liberated from colonization. Next definition is liberation. That is to set someone free from a situation, especially imprisonment or slavery, in which their liberty is being restricted. Now that can be, be emotional, liberation, spiritual, bodily, language, any, any way that you can express yourself in your body. So today we're going to talk about liberation psychology. Liberation psychology or liberation social psychology is an approach to psychology that aims to actively understand the psychology of oppressed and impoverished communities by conceptually and practically addressing the oppressive socio-political culture in which they exist. Through transgressive and reconciliatory approaches, liberation psychology strives to mend the fractures in relationships, experience, and society caused by oppression. The liberation psychology aims to include what or who has been marginalized, both psychologically and socially. The philosophy of liberation psychology stresses the interconnectedness and co-creation of culture, psyche, self, and community. They should be viewed as interconnected and evolving uh, multiplicities or perspectives, performances, and voices of various degrees of dialogue. Yeah, I think that this is incredibly important because psychology does come from colonizer roots so i think it's essential to approach these things yeah and much like uh, not most all white supremacist systems it encourages you to be the owner of all your issues instead of acknowledging how things have things have affected you like in a moment you're going to read about uh marxism karl marx you know the philosopher that came up with the idea of communism that and dialectical uh, materialism, essentially talking about how everything that happens to us in our lives affects how we live and breathe and exist. Mm -hmm. And it's not just us making the decision to be unhappy or have behaviors or what have you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Uh, uh, Okay, yeah, I have so many. Okay, the history of liberation psychology. So liberation psychology was first conceived by the Spanish Salvadoran psychologist Ignacio Martín Barro and developed extensively in Latin America. 
Liberation psychology is an interdisciplinary approach that draws on liberation philosophy, Marxist, feminist, and decolonial thought. Liberation theology, critical and popular pedagogy, as well as critical psychology sub-areas, particularly critical social psychology. The core ideas of liberation psychology emerged in Latin America in the 1970s in response to criticism of traditional psychology, traditional being Western psychology, social psychology specifically. Psychology was criticized for the following characteristics. The view of science as neutral. The idea that science was devoid of moral elements was considered a flawed framework. The assertion of universality. Psychological theories were produced based on research conducted primarily with white middle-class undergraduate males. Liberationists questioned the notion that such principles were universal and therefore applicable to all individuals without regard to the consideration of contextual factors. Societal irrelevance. Psychology was viewed as failing to generate knowledge that could assess social inequities. In response to these criticisms, psychologists sought to create a psychological science that addressed social inequalities in both theory and practical application. It is important to note that liberation psychology is not an area of psychology akin to clinical, developmental, or social psychology. However, it is more of a framework that aims to reconstruct psychology, taking into account the perspective of the oppressed, Martin, Martin Burroughs' new interlocutor. So the discipline ceases its often unwitting and complicity with the structures that perpetuate domination, oppression, and inequality. Generally, people using this framework would not call themselves liberation psychologists, although this term is sometimes used to refer to them. The term liberation psychology may have first appeared in print in 1976. Stay tuned after the break as we uh, get into our interview for today. Alrighty, welcome back. Silvana Espinoza-Lau is an LMFT in private practice and an embodied liberation consultant for mental health clinicians. Silvana supports mental health clinicians who want to incorporate liberation-focused and anti-oppressive values in their practices in an embodied way. In her private practice, Silvana serves primarily BIPOC individuals dealing with racial trauma, acculturation and immigration issues, and imposter syndrome. Silvana also provides clinical supervision and consultations to both licensed and pre-licensed clinicians with an anti-oppressive and decolonized focus. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Silvana, we are so excited to have you here. Um, I know that we, Joanna at least, had interactions with you at least. How long ago was that, Joanna? I do not know. Okay. <laughs> Joanna has had, <laughs> Joanna was exposed to your work. Uh, it was in while the past. I was pregnant, so... While she was pregnant, and then we were able to reconnect again. Um, yeah. And she just spoke volumes at how incredible the experience was. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this offering that Joanna had seen? Yeah, for sure. Um, that is a, a free webinar that I offer uh, four times a year. Uh, so the next one I will be offering at some point in uh, early December. And um, it's uh, the, the title has been changing, but it's about how to decolonize your practice. I think the last title was something like four steps to decolonize your practice. So the idea was, uh, okay, 
let's look at this map of what are the areas uh, that you can decolonize, what are the barriers that you have because everybody's barriers look differently, and then what are the areas that you can decolonize, having in mind what is happening for you, where you work, how much time you have at the moment. So, so a very, um, what should I call it, like an individualized plan of how can I start decolonizing my practice? Also having in mind what are my identities, how my own identities, uh, both the privileged ones and the marginalized ones, affect my practice as well and how they affect the people that I serve, the biases that I have. So um, I guess we kind of, it was like a very uh, general um, webinar because it's only a one hour webinar, uh, but we try to cover all of those things in, in one hour. Yeah, it, I felt like it was extremely useful and maybe things that, you know, Western educated psychologists or counselors or social workers don't um, aren't exposed to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, like you were, uh, like you were both um, saying earlier in the in the intro. Um, I know about liberation psychology from uh, from when I was in college back in South America, and to me that was amazing to discover an approach that really takes into account so many things. Uh, so, so that is what I try to incorporate in that uh, in that webinar as well. Like, what are all of the things that are happening that are not direct that we wouldn't see as directly related to therapy, but that really influence how we are delivering that therapy and how our clients are, you know, benefiting from that approach as well. Yeah, I believe in the webinar I took there was also discussion on how teletherapy has has changed and and what kind of things clinicians should be mindful of when engaging in teletherapy like just the room behind you the fact that clients can't really see a lot of your body yeah yeah, yeah definitely uh, yeah uh, yeah i remember that conversation <laughs> maybe it was the very first one that you attended i think it was the very first one <laughs> no i'm i'm remembering i'm remembering okay. that someone brought that up uh, it might have been me i don't know <laughs> maybe <laughs> And I think it's great when people bring this up, bring up these things because uh, it reminds me of how, and again, coming from a different culture, for me, things are very circular. They are not linear. They are not like a step or, you know, a sequence of things. Um, things for me have this idea of chaos that are not chaos, not necessarily being a bad thing, right? Uh, and whoever brought that up, if it was you, I, I appreciated that so much because I remember thinking, yes, and here is where we challenge that duality of good versus bad, right? Mm. Teletherapy can be amazing for so many individuals. It makes therapy way more accessible. Uh, but if it was the only thing available, what about people who don't have access to internet, who don't even have a computer? Because, you know, people don't have, some people don't have computers or an iPhone or, you know, a, a device. Uh, so, so to me, it was amazing that we could have that conversation of, yes, one thing is not either good or bad. It's just a tool that can be used so well. But even the tool can entail some privilege <laughs> and yeah. can highlight how other people are marginalized as well within a system. So, yeah, that, that's what I remember from from that conversation about teletherapy. Yeah, I'm also thinking about people's tendencies to try to 
make things very linear or just very, you know, like either or. And in the therapy space, that most of the time is not true because there's so much flexibility that happens with therapy. For sure. For sure. I I, I think that I experienced that as a uh, person in therapy, as a therapy seeker at some point. And my hope is that as therapists, as we go through therapy and as we grow, we realize that things are not that way. And Mm. uh, yeah, that is true. I, I think that when I say we, I was going to say we, I think that Western society has made things so linear, so black and white, so yes or no, so polarized that we forget that things are more like in shades of gray or like rainbow colored Um, (laughs) and at the same time, very intersectional. Uh, It's not just the, the good and bad or the saying yes or no to something or I am for or I am against right I I, I would love if if more people could see all the aspects of something all the aspects of a problem and even as I am saying that I am thinking maybe people with more privileges can do that but people yeah. with more disadvantages can't and that makes a mm-hmm. lot of sense so it can be a very complex matter <laughs> for <Yeah>. sure <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a really nice reminder that anything, anytime you have a binary choice kind of like forced upon you, there is some type of su- supremacist framework that yes. is that you're having to choose from. Yes. Um, and uh, this other big factor of colonialism in general, just assuming that every body, every culture, every ethnicity, every race has the exact same needs is is very is a very Western way of thinking as well. Um, and it's something that has, you know, affected the entirety of, of the global South with that thinking, just um, how you had this piece of education available in South America is so incredible to me and also so, uh, so alien to me that that was something that was talked about. Um, so I, I wonder what you feel are some colonial practice, I I don't want to put too much of a label on it, but what are some colonial practices that you see in, you know, let's say American private practices that uh, we could benefit from being dismantled? (laughs) Um, Let's see. Uh, So so I think what I started noticing, and in all honesty, I started noticing that maybe just in the last five years, right? Um, Again, uh, Western psychology has been a thing for a while. Uh, that's what I learned back in college, back in South America. Uh, that was a type of therapy I received when I lived, you know, back home. Uh, you know, the, this mix of CBT and, 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 and other stuff, um, which is very Western, very Eurocentric, made by white males uh cishet white males as far as we know or at least presenting as cishet right uh white males so it was a it was an approach that was created with them in mind maybe some of them did it on purpose maybe some of them uh didn't uh but they are creating something with that bias right? With, with the bias of their identities. If, if I am a white man, I am seeing the world through that lens only. Uh, yes, I can empathize with others. Yes, I can try to incorporate some things. And even that is a slippery slope because to me, this idea of I was inspired by when I lived in India or I was inspired when I was in, you know, 
the Far East or in the Caribbean? Were you inspired or were you appropriating some of the traditional cultures that people had there, right? And now you're packaging into pack, packaging that into this nice Western approach that serves you through the lens that you're seeing it because of the identities that you have, right? Um, so I think that it was in the last five years that I realized, yeah, my training has been very Eurocentric. The way that I have received therapy has been Eurocentric. The way that I have offered therapy has been so Eurocentric. <laughs> uh, my grad school program, uh, my internship, most of my supervisors, uh, fortunately, not all of them. And again, I am not speaking in black and white, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> there are so many things here that have been so Eurocentric. And that is not who I am. And that is not the people that I work with. And yes, when I work in California, I work mainly with the Latinx population, but that was not it. Uh, I have worked with houseless folks when I have worked with people from the LGBT community. Um, and there are, because I'm just talking about the people that I have worked with, but there are so many other identities that have not been centered, that have not been the norm, that remain in the margins and for whom therapy has not been made, right? So yeah, I, I can just continue talking and talking about <laughs> so many ways in which therapy has not been made for all of those individuals with all of those systemically marginalized identities. So if I come to therapy, how do I know that this space is going to be safe? Or how do I know that you're really going to understand me, right? Uh, if you're going to tell me to exercise to feel better, or right, you're going to tell me that I just need to work up to wake up earlier, um, or I just need to focus more, right? Because all of us can focus in the same way. <laughs> um, so, so there are so many little things in therapy and within all of the many approaches that we have that I think can be so oppressive, and sometimes we don't realize how oppressive those are. So, anyways, that that's I, I can just like I said before, I can keep on talking about that because I'm so <laughs> passionate about it but I hope that answered your question I think so it was my question but I'm like yeah yeah totally. <laughs> I'm, I'm also thinking about you know uh, like methodologies like CBT and DBT how kind of like it like tries to do, oh I'm doing this motion of like shoving things into like <laughs> a again like a straight line or a black and white thinking and like I think that's very um I think it's like very exciting for, for some therapists like, oh, yay, I have this answer. It's going to be the same every time, but that's not necessarily the case. Exactly. Exactly. I think the black and white is very comfy. Like I rem remember oh, yeah. when I was doing the black and white, it's just so comfy, right? Mm -hmm. I remember doing crisis. Um, do you want to harm yourself? Yes or no, right? D do you have the means? Yes or no. Uh, do you have supports? Yes or no. Um, or, you know, s since uh, I mentioned CBT, um, are you feeling sad? Are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling lack of motivation? Uh, are you, <laughs> you know, it's just this series of questions for a yes or no type of thing or this methodology. And again, things, things as a whole, I am not trying to say that this methodology is wrong, but what else can we incorporate to this methodology? Or can I just adjust it to the person mm -hmm. that I have in front of me, right? Maybe yeah. for some people, people who are of uh, 
people who are actually from a Western culture or from European descent, maybe they have this way of working and CBT works great for some of them. And, and that's fine. That, that's amazing. But that doesn't work for everybody, right? CBT, DBT, or any other approach that you can think of. So can we just have in mind what's our clients' cultures or even identities? I don't have to be a, a and I doubt anyone can be, a, a, you know, a, an expert in anybody else's culture. I don't think I'm an expert in my culture. Uh, but can I adjust what I am doing to my clients' identities and especially to my clients' marginalized identities, right? Yeah. And again, we're not saying that those methodologies don't work. I think approaching them with intersectionality in mind, mm -hmm. with flexibility in mind, and not saying like, every time somebody says this to me, I give them this DBT exercise. Exactly. You know? Yes. Yeah, that's, I, I'm also just thinking about folks that are fitting into that you know, cishet, white, male, or maybe deviating like with gender or um, gender or sexuality, but also are just coming from low income or working class communities. And some of this stuff is also not applying to them. Mm -hmm. Like Silvana, you had mentioned the, like, do I have time to do this? Am I going to have to be working? Am I going to have, you know, the economic ability to be able to come in and actually invest in therapy and invest my time? Mm -hmm. And there are also so many people just in in the Western culture who are being made to feel like they should be fit in, fitting in this box and then walk away thinking, okay, this is something else that's wrong with me. So like this, this colonial mentality also makes folks that are within it on the margin suffer, like you're saying, but even folks that look like they should fit in are suffering to a degree. It's, it's just very interesting how, I mean, accessibility is always going to come in and rear its, <laughs> rear its beautiful or ugly face. And yeah, not a question, just like a statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I completely agree with your statement, right? Uh, which it's the reason why I am so passionate about this idea of identities, right? Uh, yes, we can think of the global south. We can think of people uh, living in poverty, we can think of houseless folks. We can think of the LGBTQ community, about the fat liberation movement, um, you know, people who are uh, neurotypical or neurodivergent and, and, and so, so, so many other identities uh, that are not within the no what we consider the norm or what we see on everyday TV or what we see on commercials or, or, or so many other things that really... Uh, like creep into our subconscious and it's like yeah somehow I received the message that this is how things should be and the moment that I don't fit that norm I feel like there's something wrong with me how many people and I have had this conversation with colleagues uh, this idea of oh something is happening with my attention span I cannot focus maybe I have ADHD or ADD or maybe you are doing too much or maybe so much is being asked of you and you just don't have the capacity and the bandwidth to pay attention to all the things that you know 20 years ago another version of you wouldn't have had to do um, so yeah, I, I think that uh, there's um, there's a lot of capitalism within our 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 field, and I think that sometimes people don't realize that capitalism also gets in the way. And 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 again, it's not that 
there's something wrong with me. There's something very wrong with the system that I am living in <laughs> and in so many aspects of it. And because the system is so oppressive, then I am the one who's feeling like there's something wrong with me, right? The system should be fine. I am the one who needs something. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm wondering, yeah. I mean, like how colonial is that idea of like, yes, this way is the right way and this way is the not right way. Exactly. And just even how like uh, religion is used to to highlight that, like, this is good and this is bad. And if mm -hmm. you think this way, then you are bad. And, yeah. and even keeping with that Western religion. Yes. Right. And, and even even um, if we see reactionary versions of religion from Eastern religions, they are heavily endorsed by Western religions. It also makes me think about, and I don't know if this is a full-fledged thought or just the beginning of a thought, um, mm -hmm. like how we all have tendencies and maybe this, you know, the, again, the black and white thinking is like, okay, if I have some sort of, a, you know, OCD-like tendency, then it means I have OCD because it's mm -hmm. either I have it or I don't. I can't be in this middle space. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the whole thing with introverted versus extroverted. Yes. I'm so tired about, uh, I'm so tired of that. <laughs> but, you know, like there's no middle space. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. definitely. There's no middle space and, 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 and there should be a middle space. Again, there should be so many shades of gray or, you know, it, this should be rainbow colored again. It shouldn't be just a yes or a no. Um, this reminds me, um, because I work with insurance companies, uh, not because I want to, but because that, you know, makes my practice more accessible. Um, I do have to, uh, just to keep insurance companies happy, I do, um, my clients uh, take the uh, PHQ-9 and the GAD-7 and the PCL-5, you know, all those things that, that we're supposed to, to administer. Uh, and I always joke with my clients, uh, especially, well, I work mostly with POC clients. So I tell them your PCL5 is so low and all your other uh, tests are so low. It's like you are cured. And of course, I joke <laughs> about this with the people that I have a good rapport. We've been working for a while. Uh, the standing joke being, yes, we're doing this just for the insurance, but not because it's proving what's the level of depression, the level of anxiety or the level of trauma that I have because these tests, again, are so Western focused uh, that don't really, um, they don't really think about the whole idea of trauma and the many phases of trauma or the many ways in which a person can experience trauma. So again, just like your example of the OCD, it's not just that, yes, I have it or no, I don't have it. I can be in the middle in so many ways uh, and for so many reasons. And sometimes a test is going to show that and sometimes a test is not going to show that, right? So, so that's where, you know, as we know, we have these conversations with our clients and the assessment. And that's why to me, the, the, the talking about the system is so important. Like not what's happening in your life, not just with your relatives and family members, but at work and at school and in your community and in your neighborhood. And how are the news affecting you? How is the news affecting you? And, you know, how's everything else affecting you that maybe is making you feel anxious? So again, it's not like there's something wrong with you. There's a lot wrong with the system around you, right? It's not as black and white. Yeah. 
Hello, listeners. As always, a deep thanks to you for listening. We're so excited to continue this interview, so stay tuned for part two coming to you soon. If you would like early access to full interviews, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash tndpodcast. Also, take a look at the show notes for important links. And remember, we are your therapists next door.